following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning. Today we're going to start by reviewing what we talked about last week and by repeating some of the things that we said. What we stated is that we in our next book study, are planning to take a look in the book of Obadiah. So we're going to try to pay attention to what Obadiah has to say. And I said what Obadiah has to say, but really Obadiah doesn't have anything to say. It's about what God had to say through his prophet, Obadiah. And we want to keep that point in focus. The first line in the book of of Obadiah says the vision of Obadiah. And so that's how we recognize who the person is. One of the interesting things, though, is that we really don't know specifically who this Obadiah was. There really isn't much information given about him. There are, I think, 10 or 11 Obadiahs mentioned in Scripture, but as far as we can tell, none of them can be identified as this particular writer. But the next line says, thus says the Lord God. And that's the important thing for us. Because if we understand and appreciate that Obadiah was a servant of the living God, he was a conduit. He was one who, he bore a message. But he was not himself the author of the message. So it's not critical that we know specifically about him, but that we know that the word from God came through him, and that's what we're looking at, and that's what we have. I stated the last time that we wanted to approach Obadiah after having looked at some background material. Because when we look at the book of Obadiah, the third line, and I'm reading, your text may be laid out a bit differently than what mine is, but the third line of my text says, concerning Edom. Concerning Edom. And so we took that as a, a good starting point to begin to say, if this prophecy concerns Edom, well, let's take a look at Edom. And so that's where we began last week. So we said that we wanted to develop a way of looking at Obadiah when we get to the details of it in a context, the context somewhat in which it sits, not just as an isolated text. I made a comment last week, you may recall this, that I said that we can open our Bibles pretty much to any place. And we can read and consider what's there. And we can find much benefit for ourselves by that approach. But we don't want that to be our exclusive approach to Scripture. Because the book, and I said this before as well, Obadiah is one of 66 books in our Bibles. 
and it sits in a historical context. And so the original writers, I mean the original writer in the sense of Obadiah, but the original hearers, when they receive this text, their thoughts about what it meant would not be the same as our thoughts would be if we just open our Bibles to that section and start to read it. It wouldn't be the same. And so to get some idea of the context in which it was given, that's what we've been trying to look at. And so I think we'll be spending most of our time today on that same consideration, just as we did last time. If you were here or you listened to the message from last week, you notice that we started with the book of Genesis. In Genesis, Genesis is the book of beginnings. And we went specifically to chapter 12 in the book of Genesis. And I said, well, I thought that would be a good place to start. Because in chapter 12 of Genesis, you see God making statements that has significance all the way through the end of the revelation of God. And we see implications for Obadiah given right there in the beginning. So I think it's worth our while to read these same verses again at the beginning of chapter 12 in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 begins beginning at verse 1. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country from your people and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So this was going to be a major life change for Abram, later to be called Abraham. And I said Abraham, a major life change. He was to leave his country. He was to leave his family. He was to leave his father's house. That's significant. And then he said, to a land that I will show you. Think of that. A man told to leave behind everything that had been familiar to him in his life the people, the surroundings, the place, and to go somewhere. Go where? I'll show you. So he's being told to leave and to go, and he hasn't even been told where it is he's going yet. But the key thing is to understand who the person is who is telling him to go. And here's what the Lord says. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. So all of this is far in the future. And then it says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And then on, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
So Abraham was told not just to leave, but to go to a place. But not just that, but to go with an understanding that a promise has been made to you. A promise made by the living God. And so that those who will descend from him will be in a special relation to the God of Abraham. And then the first part of the next verse. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. So he departed. And the next part that we focused on is Isaac and Rebekah. So we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Israel. But Abraham and then Isaac. So there were Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac's wife was barren. And to be barren in their place and time was of great significance. But he prayed to the Lord about his barren wife. And the Lord answered the prayer. He gave a double answer to the prayer. And we see that in Genesis chapter 25. And one of the interesting things about it is that Rebecca began to experience some happenings inside of her body. These two little guys were inside of her struggling. And of course, mom wants to know what's going on. I'm going to read a few verses again, as I did before, from chapter 25. Beginning in verse 22, the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So now this is interesting, because we get to find out who these two are and what this struggle is. And so we get from her when she delivers these two boys, Jacob and Esau. Esau, being the firstborn, of course not by much, because they were born one after the other. But he was the firstborn. And being firstborn conferred a certain privilege uh, the, the right of the firstborn 
or the word birthright. We talked about that. And so what we're doing is skipping ahead to some of the major points to get us down the line in time to, to Edom and what happened to the descendants. Of course, the descendants of Jacob take one route, one path. The descendants of Esau take another. But there's interaction between them throughout, and you see that. They struggled within the womb, and they struggled. The descendants of each struggled on and on after departing from the womb. We visited the portion which talks about Esau and how he treated that birthright. The birthright conferred a special favor, a double portion from the inheritance, a leadership role, the one who would be the uh, uh, successor, and that sort of thing. And so it was very significant. But there came a time when Esau needed some food. He was hungry. And Jacob had made some stew, and he he said, well, give me some of that red stew. And Jacob said, well, if you sell me your birthright, I'll do that. And as we said, Jacob valued, he placed great value on that birthright. To him, it meant something magnificent. But for Esau, let me pick up a few verses here from chapter 25, beginning in verse 29. Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom, red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew and lentils, and he ate. And then the last sentence in that verse, thus Esau despised his birthright. He counted it as worthless, of, of, of no value to him. That's what he did with it. And so he despised his birthright. Now I said the birthright generally was accorded to the firstborn son, but it wasn't always, it didn't always follow the firstborn son or stay with that son. So we see here that Esau sold his birthright. There was a man by the name of Reuben. You know what happened to his birthright? Well, the Bible says that he forfeited his birthright. We see that in First Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And it was because of his misbehavior 
he defiles his father's bed, one of his father's wives. And uh, so his, his birthright was given to Joseph as a consequence of that. So he lost his birthright by misbehavior. So, so Esau didn't value it, and so he despised it now, and, and Reuben forfeited his. But there's one other reassignment of the birthright I wanted to draw your attention to. And uh, that has to do with Joseph's sons. Israel, shall I say, reassigned Manasseh's birthright. And so the birthright didn't rest with Manasseh, but with Ephraim. And Joseph, understanding that the birthright should go to the firstborn and that the blessing should be on him. But when Isaac, I mean, when Israel was near to his departing, and uh, he had his hand on the wrong son. And Joseph tried to correct his dad. His hands were crossed over. And so that the hand would be on the proper son, so that the birthright would be in this proper order. But that wasn't the, the design or the plan. And so that birthright was reassigned. We moved on to see that as for Esau, he was seeking a blessing from his father. And through the scheme of Jacob and Rebekah, he didn't get it. He had prepared what his father had asked of him, but his mom, his and uh, Jacob's mom, had heard of what was going to be, what had been requested. And so they devised an alternate plan. So that by the time Esau came in, ready to provide to his father what he wanted in that stew that he had made from the wild uh, animal, his dad was greatly troubled. He had already given the blessing. He thought his son Esau had already come and had already done the service that he was going to do for him. And he thought he had already blessed him. But he hadn't. It was the other son. And so Esau sought. But there was nothing that could be done about it. He said, it's done. What is done is done. And so he was without that. And clearly... There's no doubt that such a thing as that would generate strong emotions, and it did. So the Esau then became very angry. He had a murderous anger. He had an intent in his heart to murder his father, I mean his, his, his brother, because his father had blessed the brother. And so he intended to kill him. But he said he would wait until after the morning for his dad, and then he would kill him. His dad was near to depart him. So then Rebecca became concerned, and so she said, well, I can't stand to lose two sons all at once. And so her plan was to send him to her brother. But then she presented to uh, Isaac, and said, well, if he protects 
of a wife of these Canaanites, that would be a horrifying thing. Of course, for both of them, that would be a distressing thing, that he should be taking a Canaanite wife. And so the agreement was made, and they sent him away to, to Rebecca's family. And there he stayed for a good long while, serving 14 years, and then leaving with a wife and family in tow, offspring, or wives and family in tow. And, and there he was. But upon his return, he was going to have to meet Esau again. And all these years later, there was that question in his mind. What is this meeting going to be like? What's going to happen when we meet again? And he was worried about that. But they came together and they had a peaceful meeting. And we picked that up in chapter 33 in the book of Genesis. And Jacob had prepared all of these wonderful gifts for Esau. And Esau looked at all those things and he said, and this is chapter 33, verse 9, I have enough, my brother. We noted that he used the expression, my brother. That's a completely different tone than his expression that he was going to kill him after his father's grieving time was over. Jacob said in verse 10, please, no, please, I have now found favor in your sight. Then receive, if I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. And as much as I have seen your face, as I have seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. That's quite a, that's, that's, that's quite a statement. Because he knew of the intensity of the hatred. Then he says, please, take my blessing that is brought to you. Because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. That was verse 11. Now, one of the things I want us to notice now, we talked about the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Jacob. God gave Esau a place to be, land. I want to pick that up from Joshua. In the book of Joshua, And that would be in, let me see, chapter 24. Let me just read several verses here. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for the heads of their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all of the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river, 
in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess I gave the mountains of Esau. I mean, uh, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, to, to, to Esau to possess. But Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. That's what I wanted to draw attention to. God says he gave land to Esau, uh, the mount of Esau, of, of uh, Seir the mountains of Sierra, that red cliffs and all that kind of thing, and all the geological features which for Edom and Esau, they thought, well, this is really a place where we can really be safe. But the point I'm drawing attention to is that God gave them that t- territory. And so that was their place. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, God, has, God said this. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1. Then return and journey into the valley of the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me. Now, this is Moses. And we skirted Mount Sierra for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward and command the people, saying, you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. This is the part I want to draw attention to. It says here, do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau for a possession. Esau, Edom. Now in chapter 20 of Numbers, beginning in verse 41, in the section verses 14 and 21, it says, Edom refused to allow Moses to lead the Israelites through the king's highway to get to the land God promised to them. So here now we see a major fracture. These are the descendants. And so we, we span a long uh, passage of history now because it said when Jacob, you know, God gave Mount Seir to Esau, Jacob and his descendants went down into Egypt. But they were there for 400 years. And God had given them release. And so all of this development on the Esau's line had come to the point to where they said, we're not going to allow you to pass through. Even though you made these promises that you're not going to bother anything. And as we see here, we're looking at the text, and God had told them that we're not to disturb or to interfere with Edom because why? 
God had given that to them. So that what Edom had, what they possessed, it was God-given. That's important. It was God-given. They had land. They had a place to be. But it was God-given. When we think about pride and arrogance as the way that Edom was abraded, as we see in Obadiah, you could say, well, how could that people have pride and arrogance in light of the fact that where they were, which they thought was such a secure place, had been given to them by God. It was a gift. But they had pride and they had arrogance. And then they mistreated the people who are their own brothers. And Obadiah talks about that too. Your brother, you mistreated him. God bless you, and what do you do? God says he, you will be held accountable. So that began a long passage of conflict. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, we see Saul and David fighting against the Edomites. David conquering them and forcing them into labor. During the reign of Jehoram in 2 Kings, Edom rebelled against Judah and set up their own independent king. The Edomites continued to be a problem for the Israelites. Ezekiel refers to Edomites raiding Judah after it fell to Babylon. That's recorded in chapter 25 of the book of Ezekiel. But you know what God said. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And that's repeated in chapter 12 of the book of Romans. God says his vengeance is his, vengeance. Now, he, we understand, used various peoples to inflict his vengeance. But they were instruments of the living God when they, under God's command, brought judgment upon various ones. Jeremiah, in chapter 49, he talks about Edom's sin and raiding Judah and taking delight in Israel's fall during the Babylonian captivity. And so in Jeremiah, and, we, and we'll look at some of this because we see in Jeremiah 49 several statements that line up pretty clearly with what we see in the book of Obadiah. And so we, we will look at that, some of that a bit more. In the book of Malachi, we see that there's a declaration made concerning Edom. What is that declaration? That it will be a waste land. A waste land? 
That's what it says. I want to draw us on down now, a little bit farther along in history. I found these, this to be interesting, these notes that I, that I have right here. It says that the, the Edomites were driven from their land by the Nabataeans. These come from historical sources. They migrated to the southern part of Israel and became known as the Adumeans. And then, later on in biblical history, there was a Herod the Great, an Adumean. He appeared on the scene. A Herod who tried to kill the infant Jesus in Bethlehem. And so the note that I wrote here, and I think I, I think it's correct, that even through Herod, the Edomites continued to rebel. That's quite astonishing. And so in AD 70, the Adumeans joined the Israelites in their revolt against Rome, and they were wiped out when Jerusalem was destroyed. And then after that, what more do you know about Edom and the Edomites? That pretty much is where it tapers off. And the historical accounts go on talking about other peoples, but the Edomites. So this is quite a long journey. So we, start out, we started in this discourse this morning talking about Abraham and how God has selected him. He made a promise through him. And then we had Abraham, and then we had Isaac, and then we had Jacob and Esau, and then we had Jacob going down into Egypt and his family, and then them coming out of Egypt. And then we had Esau, who had despised his birthright. He had lost his blessing. He had designed to kill his brother. He had had a peaceful reunion with him. But then all of these centuries later, the descendants of that Esau come to the end of their Rain. A people who had lived in a place that was a secure place to live, easier to be defended than where most people groups lived. And they had a great deal of pride. They were known as a center, uh, the Edomites, for wisdom and knowledge but it's as if it all fled away from them. So I think what we'll do is, when we come back, we won't go through all this for a third time, like I did just now, but we'll move on into some of the text that is there in the book. But I want to read just the first part now in Obadiah before we close I'm going to read a few verses here. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise and let us go up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, you shall be greatly despised. The pride 
of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? The Lord says, though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. It's interesting, the rhetorical question normally, it doesn't give the answer, but the answer is given here. And so Edom is going to be brought down. But the pride, scripture says, pride goes before the fall. And what a mighty fall it was for the Edomites. Pride goes before the fall. God's gift to that people group of a place to live and to be only to lead ultimately to their total annihilation through the judgment brought by God. I've said these words before. I will say them again. God is not to be trifled with. That's true for the nations. It was true for the nations, the ancient nations. It was true for Edom. And it's true for individuals. God is not to be trifled with. Our Father in heaven, we have spent the time, a lot of this morning, to open the word of God to consider what thus says the Lord. Father, we know that we don't measure up to the standard. And so we keep looking to your face and praying and asking for the help of God through the Holy Spirit of God. Because we know that otherwise, everything we do will be in vain. Help us, dear Lord, we pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus, our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for your kind attention and consideration.